Thank you for joining us again. I apologize for the move upstairs and downstairs. For anyone who is not yet familiar with what's happening here, uh, we have a program every morning this summer for women from 9.30 to 10.30. Schedules are here if anyone's interested in picking one up. Plenty. You can raise your hand. I'll be happy to come over. Um, and uh, everything is free of charge. I just uh, ask that everyone please take full advantage of everything that we are offering here and uh, continue to enjoy and continue to inspire all of us. Thank you again for, Thank for you. coming and joining. Okay. Anyone need one? Is it going to work, Tanya? No. Put it on the beamer. Yeah, but the space is not going to work. Uh, so put it on the angle. Okay. Shall we wait? We have to start. We must start. While you're getting ready, we'll, we'll, um, we'll just do some introductory remarks. So everybody should get themselves a Safer Eov. Now, the Safer we're going to be working off is Rav Schwab on Eov. That's my grandfather, Rav Shimon Schwab. And this Safer is, a, is the written version of Shirim on the Navi Eov that my grandfather gave in Washington Heights, where he was a Rav, over the course of about two years. This Sefer goes Pasuk by Pasuk. It is beautifully written, deep explanations. It, it rounds out many of the major ideas in Sefer Eov, giving background and other you know, concepts that feed into them. You'll get an entire education of basic Jewish ideology on all different subjects from this Sefer. This Sefer is often used as a source for... Uh, for proof texts, for all kinds of other ideas. Chachamim always bring a proof text, very often from Sefer Eov, when they're proving some other point. So if you, uh, the bookstores have it, if not, probably online Eiffelers has it. It's Rav Schwab and Eov. It's good Sefer to have in the library, as we said, because it's the go-to Sefer whenever one is dealing with that huge question of Tzadik Baralo. As we said, every other Sefer written on the subject of why good people suffer is, is uh, all secondary to the Sefer, to Sefer Eov. Okay, are we ready? Wait, so welcome everyone to the first of our four-part series on Sefer Eov. This is how we're going to organize these four sessions. Today, we are going to do an overview of the entire Sefer. You're going to get a sense of the scope of the ideas and the entire playing out of the whole story of Eov's um, being, being chosen by God to endure these challenges as a, as a role model, as a test, test example, and as a lesson for humanity. We're going to find out who Eov was and what happened to him and what people tried to say to him to help him understand what happened and what the resolution of it all was. The question that we're going to start out with is, when did Sefer Eov happen? Who was Eov? And uh, why are we learning everything from Eov? So in terms of when did Eov live, there is many different opinions about when Eov lived. And in the end, although we're going to go through a couple of them, it doesn't matter when Eov lived at all, because, because Eov is the story of every man. There have been many, many Eovs in the history of the Jewish people and the history of humanity in general. And this Sefer is written for every person facing the great dilemma of how God distributes challenges, suffering, what we call uh, evil or difficulties in this world. So among the 
many opinions of who Eov was and when he lived. We're just going to state three. One of the classic famous opinions, and it makes a lot of sense, is that Eov was, Moshe, was a sefer written by Moshe Rabbeinu. And he lived at the time of the first exile of the Jewish family, the descendants of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and the mothers, the exile in Mitzrayim. It makes a lot of sense that Moshe would write a sefer like Sefer Eo for two reasons. Number one, if you are the teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu, not the founder like Avram Avinu, but the teacher of a new religion, then you are going to have to deal with the question of how does God conduct the world. If you're teaching all the axioms of a new religion and you're bringing God to the people and asking them to devote their lives entirely to serving God with love, you will have to encounter the question of why does God conduct the world in a way that makes it hard for us to love Him, to understand Him, that drives us away that makes us feel unloved by God when suffering happens. So Moshe himself asked Hashem this very question. Moshe on Har Sinai, before he received the second luchos, asked God to explain to him the issue of tzaddik varalo. Why is it that sometimes righteous people undergo so much suffering? And Hashem answered him at that time, Lo yirani ha'adam v'chai. Nobody can really, truly see that it's too big, which we'll see, and uh, nobody can see that and live as a human being. You have two options. To live as a human being means that full knowledge of the way Hashem conducts the world is precluded from us. To know all that is, means to no longer be alive, because we will understand it when we're no longer human, when we're no longer mortal and on this earth. So it's either or. However, you can't leave it like that, just like, well, there's no answer, so goodbye. We need direction. So if there's no absolute answer, how do we deal with the subject? And that's what Sefer Eov is about. Because Eov never gets an answer as to why he's suffering. We'll see. He gets something much bigger than the answer, but he doesn't get the answer. So it makes sense that Moshe Rabbeinu would write the Sefer to give the Jewish people a mahalach, a direction in this area. There's another very um, enlightening chazal that tells us that um, there are three tzaddikim who the Navi Yechezkel kind of lumps together. They are Noah, Daniel, and Eov. Now, the Navi Yechezkel is telling us that these three people have something in common, and to put it in a nutshell, Noah saw a world, Chazal say, built, destroyed, and rebuilt. That's the whole world. Daniel saw Eretz Yisrael, for the Jewish people, not universally like Noah, but, you, but exclusively for the Jewish people, our world, the world that had a base of Migdash, the world of Eretz Yisrael, the Jews in Eretz Yisrael, he saw that built. He saw the Chorban, the destruction of the first temple, the exile, and he saw the restoration, the return of the Jews to the second temple. To, the, to Israel to build the second temple. So Daniel saw, again, a world built, destroyed, and rebuilt on a Jewish level, on a national level. And then Eo saw a world built, destroyed, and rebuilt on a personal level. So that Eo represents each person's going through the process of losing everything, dealing with it, and the ultimate restoration of all things to the person. Not necessarily physical, not necessarily in this world, but the restoration of what is truly valuable to the person. 
So there is a possibility that uh, Chazal tell us that Eov lived in the tar- time of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And in fact, some people even say he was one of the advisors to Paro when he asked what he should do with the Jewish people. Other people, there are other, other options here where he is placed at the time of Avraham Avinu. He's placed at the time of Yaakov Avinu. He's placed at the time of the return to build the, building the second temple. He's placed at the time of Ahasuerosh. In other words, what we really mean is, as we said before, it doesn't really matter when he lived. This is the universal question. And at those time periods that Eov is placed at, these were big questions that had to be answered. Eov's question was, was a very dominant question. And you might add, if Chazal were writing today, that he lived at the time of the Holocaust. Okay. Now, the general story of Eov is the following. We don't know if he's even a Jew or not a Jew, by the way. And it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter either. Because this is universal. The messages of Eov are universal. What we know is that there was a person who, by God's own account, was a perfect tzaddik. He had no, God had no complaint with Eov. Because the Torah, the, 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 the Sefer starts out by saying, but there was Ishaya, there was a person, a real person, Be'eretz Utz, Eov Shemo. Somebody lived in the land of Utz and his name was Eov. Vahaya Ha'ishahu, and this person was Tam, which means perfect, Vyashar, and straight, Vyarelokim, and he feared God, Vasar Meira, and he deviated from evil. So God himself has no bone to pick with Eov. However, in this very almost like fable-like introduction to the story of Eov, we, we find that the Satan appears. And before, and we're going to go into next week, because we're working, we're going to go in order, what, what this Satan means. It is certainly not an anti-God competitor with God or something like that force in the world that is challenging God. Obviously, that would be a denial of the concept that there's only one Hashem and everything that exists is a creation of Hashem. So there is no Satan that is an opponent to God at all, but rather a Satan is a Malach, which we'll speak about what that means, a force created by God himself that serves a very good purpose. And this force says to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there is no one in the world, uh, Hashem says to this, to this Satan, have you seen Anyone as perfect and as righteous as my servant Eov. And the Satan says to Hashem, and this dialogue is just to help us picture the two sides of the argument. There is no, so to speak, other opponent to God, as we said. So, and the Satan's role is to bring up this argument, which is to say, true, he is perfect and righteous, but that's because his life is so blessed. He has everything a human being could ever ask for. You've showered him with every bracha conceivable. Let's see what happens if we start taking away all of that. So Hashem says, okay, let's see. I'll give you permission to test him. So the first thing that happens to Eov is he loses all his family, his possessions, his money, every physical thing he owns is, is destroyed. And Eov stands up strong and confident, and he says what we repeat all the time, Hashem Natan, Hashem Lakach, God gives, God takes away, bless Hashem. He's able to withstand that Nisayim. Then the Nisatan says, let's take it further. Let's see if we afflict him physically, with physical pain and suffering, if he will be able to still 
act like he just did and bless Hashem. And Eov becomes racked with the most excruciating physical uh, skin condition, bone condition, blood condition, and he's in misery. And that's really where the story here starts. So what happens is, he has three friends, which we will be introduced to next week. Three friends who come to speak to him. They don't abandon him. And they sit with him in quietly, just commiserating with his misery, his abject misery for a week, and then they start to speak. And a good portion of Sefer Eov is the various arguments, and they're all a little different and they all need investigation, of the three friends who are considered very wise, even having some level of nevuah, telling Eov why they think he's suffering. And their argument is very, very simplistic. It just has many angles to it. The argument is the following. We have a couple of axioms. God is perfectly just. Everything Hashem does is justice and kindness. There is no way God would do a cruel thing. Plus, add to that another axiom, Hashem knows every single thing that goes on in the world. There's nothing outside of his jurisdiction. So, he knows you're suffering. He is causing you suffering because he is just and kind. He is doing this to you. And why would Hashem do this to an innocent person? He wouldn't. Therefore, we conclude that you are a sinner. You are guilty. You need to find your sin. You need to look into your heart and find your sin. Eo, throughout the entire Sefer, absolutely refuses to accept their argument, and he says, I am not a sinner, I have nothing that I've done that would merit such a thing, I can test myself and can come up confident that I have never sinned against God in any way that I can identify, and Hashem just said that too in the beginning of the Sefer, so they're wrong, they're wrong the whole way through, and, uh, and he refuses to accept their arguments, and then they build on that argument and they say, the fact that you refuse to accept that you're a sinner proves that you're a sinner and that you're guilty. How could a person deny that they have sinned in some way? You're just not looking deep enough. You're just not realizing what Hashem expected from you and where you fell short. So you think that you're doing fine. And Eov refuses. Now why are they making this argument? Because they're making a simple calculation. If Eov is not guilty, if he's an innocent person, and Hashem is subjecting him to this kind of suffering and misery, that would constitute an unjust, cruel act on the part of God. And we can't say such a thing. That would be blasphemy. So in a sense, they believed that they are defending God's reputation. And in order to defend God's reputation, they need to explain the way Hashem conducts the world by pointing a finger and accusing an innocent person of being a sinner. That's not okay. No one's allowed to do that. Hashem doesn't need anyone to defend him. His calculations about how he runs the world are way more complex than a five-year-old's two plus two must equal four. And you're not allowed to accuse somebody of being a sinner when they say they're not. That's no one's right. 
So at a certain point, we're going to jump to just read from chapter 13. Eov gets very, loses complete patience with them. And he says to them, and I'll read it in English. I'll read it in Hebrew for a little bit in Hebrew, a little bit in English. He says, um, He says, I'm not any less than you. I see what you see. I've heard what you see. I'm not inferior to you in logic and reasoning. And I don't come up with your conclusions. And he said, the reason I'm protesting, and I keep saying I'm not a sinner, and I keep asking God to explain to me why I'm suffering, is because I wish to talk to God. I desire to have a discussion with Hashem and find out why I'm suffering. That's all I need to know. Eov says to them, you don't understand me. I am never, and Eov asserts this in the beginning, he says, I will never admit that I'm guilty because I'm not. Secondly, I will never say that Hashem is unjust, which you are teetering on saying. I will never blaspheme Hashem or complain against Him or in any way reject my suffering. I accept everything. I am, believe Hashem is just. I will never utter a harsh word or a word of anger against Hashem. But there's one thing that I keep insisting on and you're not hearing me. All I'm asking for is that God explain to me what he's doing to me. Because if I had an explanation, I could endure it. I could embrace it. I could serve Hashem with the love he's asking me to serve him with if I knew why I was going through the things I'm going through. That's what I keep saying. All I want to know is why. Now, Eov says here, I want to have a conversation with Hashem because this is my problem. Hashem expects us to love him unconditionally. But Eov says, I do not want to be a hypocrite. I can't be a hypocrite. I cannot pray and do the mitzvahs and learn Torah as if there is no obstacle between me and God. No mechitza separating us. I can't go through the motions. As long as I don't know why I'm suffering, everything I do is going to be with a tainted, tainted, it's not fully, with full, uh, um, with full uh, love and um, closeness with Hashem. I want to know why Hashem is doing the things He's doing, so I can rid myself of that divide, that which divides me between me and Hashem, which is my confusion and my feeling of, why would this happen, why would Hashem do this to me? And then I'll be able to serve Hashem with love. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I want to... And I believe that Hashem is doing everything correctly. And I'm not, and I know there are bigger calculations than he's making me suffer. Therefore, I must be a, be a sinner. Eov knew that was much more complicated than that. What was happening? What was happening is that Hashem was pushing Eov to a point to see if he would be able to achieve the Madrega that Avraham achieved. And that is the madrega of loving Hashem, even if he doesn't understand what's happening. In other words, what Hashem wanted from you in the end was to give up his demand that Hashem explain things to him. Just give it up and move on. Had Eov accomplished this, which he didn't, this is the story of Eov who did not pass this test. That's the safer. And that's why we have it to tell us not to fall into this trap. 
Had he passed the test and, able, and was able to get past his demand that he understand, we would be saying, Chazal tell us, Eloke Avram, Eloke Yitzchak, Eloke Yaakov, Eloke Eov. And Eov might not even have been Jewish, which, by the way, theoretically, Avram wasn't either. Right? He just embraced all the Jewish ideas, and this Jewish idea is meant to be embraced by all humanity, too. Eov is not willing to say it's as simple as God is just, therefore I'm a sinner. Eov knows it's more complicated, and it is more complicated. In this case, Hashem was giving him a test to elevate him, to be a role model for history, to prove that human beings can achieve a madrega of accepting Hashem's gizar din without understanding it. When Avram was asked to go to the Akedah, what Hashem was really asking him to sacrifice was not his son. That wasn't the intention. What Hashem was asking Avram to sacrifice was his need to understand, his mind, his curiosity. Because Hashem had told him that Yitzchak was his future. And Avram lived a life where he screamed, he probably didn't scream, but he spoke continuously about how God abhors human sacrifice. And that God is a God of love. And here, he's going to repudiate everything he ever said and be a laughingstock at, uh, in, you know, for humanity. And to forget about defend God, make, alienate humanity from God forever. In other words, this is not in Avram's interest. This is not in God's interest. This is not in the interest of... Nothing of it made sense. And yet, Avram was able to put all of that aside and follow through. It was the Akedel, as my grandfather of Schwab says, of his mind. That's what went up on the altar, and that's what the Jewish people were able to do. And Eov was asked to do this for humanity. So Eov knows there's something more, but he doesn't get this point, that this is what he's really meant to achieve. And so he's still demanding to have a conversation with God and understand why he's suffering. And then he says to them, but your argument, and this is what Hashem confirms at the end of the Sefer, Eov is 100% right. He said, your argument is lies. You are plasterers of lies. As if somebody has a wound and you plaster it with something that hurts it even more. He says, you are worthless physicians. You think you have a cure? You're doing more damage. He says, who would grant if only you would just keep quiet? And that would be your wisdom. Enough with your talk. You're all wrong. And you're making it worse. And you're doing a terrible disservice to God. He says to him, what if, he says, do you speak crookedness for the sake of God? In other words, are you defending God and that's why you're accusing an innocent person? So what if I can prove that I'm innocent? Now what happens to your argument? God is unjust. God is cruel. You're the one not defending God. You're teetering on the ultimate desecration of God's name. And the whole thing is, is standing on a house of cards that you're imagining that I'm guilty. And if I could prove I'm not, look what happens to your arguments. You're, look what you're doing. God doesn't need your help. This is not, it's not in your job to do this. And what he's saying, and what would happen, right? He says, do you speak crookedness for the sake of God? And for him, do you speak deceit? What if he would do it to you? What if he would test you? What would happen? Where, what, what would happen with all your arguments suddenly? Let's see, are you so perfect? Do you really understand the ways of Hashem? Don't assume you understand Hashem's ways. So that's Eov's constant back and forth with, the, with these uh, so-called friends. And then, it, in chapter 16, after Eov demands to know why he's suffering, 
And after Eov comes up with some of his own calculations, in the beginning of the Sefer, he tries different explanations, perhaps, for why he's suffering. In the beginning, he denies Hashgacha Pratis. says, there's no, God isn't running this world well, he's just left it be, and in Olam Haba will be all the rewards. He tries cursing the day he was born and cursing his life, wishing he never existed. He falls into a terrible depression. He feels that he, he doesn't want to live anymore. He doesn't think the life is, is purposeless you know, at all. He feels that this is just a time, place to endure suffering and then, as we said, in the next world, get your reward. He goes through all kinds of things. And the, in chapter 16, after he's kind of like gone through all the options, he just comes down to, just explain to me why I'm suffering. Now the fact that all of this is written in this Sefer, which is part of Tanakh, means that it's legitimate for a person to have those thoughts and to express them. It's okay. They're in a Sefer. It means we're allowed to think those things. We're allowed to go through that process. We're allowed to ask all the questions, but we're not allowed to stop reading, say, for Eov in the middle after he just asks his questions before the end, which is the resolution. You have to read Eov through to the end. You're allowed to ask the questions if you're willing to follow through to Hashem's answer to Eov. And end, Hashem does give Eov some type. It's not an answer about why he particularly suffered, but it's a way bigger idea than that. And he does reveal it to Eov. And Eov's very, very comforted. In fact, he says, now that I understand this, it was worth going through all my suffering to achieve this understanding. In the end, he's makabal his suffering with Ahava, with love. But only after Hashem opens the heavens and shows him very big picture. Okay. So a person can ask these questions, but they need to follow through till the answer at the end. You have to read Sefer Eov as a whole. After these questions go back and forth for a while, these three friends are talking and speaking. Then finally, towards the end of the Sefer, a third person, a fourth person, sorry, a fourth person enters the conversation. He's been sitting there all along. He's young, and he doesn't speak before the elders. But as he's sitting there hearing this, going back and forth, his frustration and his impatience is getting the most of him, and he's furious at Eov's three friends, and he's also frustrated with Eov. And in the end, this Elihu, in chapter 32, Elihu finally opens his mouth. Elihu. And he sets everything straight, and after his arguments, Eov does not contradict him, and Hashem confirms what he says. Guess who Chazal say Elihu was? You're not going to believe this one. Who was Elihu? Darash Rabbi Akiva, Elihu Zebilam. Zebilam. Because his name is Elihu ben Barachel. Sheba lekalal es Yisrael uber cham ha'el. He came to curse the Jews, but Hashem blessed them. Who could Bilam be? This is just an interesting tangent here. You know how the Chazal say that in the end of the Torah, when it says, Lo come, Kamosha od be Yisrael, that there was never, Lo come, no, uh, what's the exact question? Right, Lo come be Yisrael, Kamosha od. 
There was no other Navi as great as Moshe in Kal Yisrael. But Chazal say what? But among the Umos Ha'olam, the nations of the world, there was one named Bilam. When we meet Bilam, he's an older man. He's become a corrupt person. But when he was young, before he was ruined, he was a great Navi among the Goyim. And he understood very much the ways of Hashem. And in fact, if this really is Bilam, because some say it's not Bilam, some say it is Bilam, but the fact that even in the Gemara they say that this is Bilam means that he's able, he had a point in his life where he was able to see really clearly about the ways of Hashem. The problem with is where did he go wrong? We did this last week in Thursday in the, in the Parsha class. It says that when Hashem was giving the Torah, to the Jewish people, there was a great tumult in the world. And all the kings of all the nations came running to Bilam, the great sage. Like, I don't know, he was the Confucius of his era, right? He was the genius, the Navi. And they came running to this wise man for, to help them understand what was happening in the world. He said, is, there, is God bringing another mobble to the world? Is the whole world about to be destroyed? Bilam said no. They went through a few options. Bilam said no, no. This is not ha- Hashem is not destroying the world. This great tumult in creation that you're all sensing, Hashem is giving the Torah to His nation Yisrael, and they said, "Good, you know, let them be blessed." Chazal say there, and I heard from Moshe Shapiro says that this was where Bilam went off. He said, don't worry about it. Hashem is giving the Torah to the Jews. It's not your worry. It's not for you. This, is, this doesn't affect you. This Torah is being given for the Jewish people, and that's the ultimate lie. The Torah that we received at Harsinai is not only for us. We are the mentors, we are the or lagoyim, but the basic ideas of the Torah are meant to be accepted, understood, and spread to the world. And one of the fundamental ideas is that there is a God in the world even though people suffer. That is a fundamental idea that everybody is supposed to be aware of and work with. When Bilam said, this is all for the Jewish people, he gave them the message that they are not expected to connect themselves to Hashem, even in a lesser way, with lesser mitzvahs, but still basic fundamentals. Their seven mitzvahs are, they must believe in Hashem. They, it is forbidden for them to believe in any other God. They must believe in Hashem, which involves this, even through suffering. They have to set up their fair and just court systems. They cannot be corrupt. They can, there cannot be any totalitarianism. No killing, no stealing, no committing adultery, and no cruelty to animals. Ever menachan. So when Bilam said to them back then, this is for the Jews, he meant that the messages of, of the Torah don't apply to the non-Jews. And if this Elihu in Sefer Eo was Bilam, there was a time in his life where he did appreciate that Jewish wisdom applied to everybody. But then he disconnected it. And one thing led to the next until it's the Bilam who tried to curse the Jewish people. So Elihu here in the end of the book, Sefer, can't take it anymore. He can't take all the lies and the miscalculations that everybody is saying, all the different positions everyone is taking. And he says, Vayichar af, he got angry. And the first thing he said was, I know you're older, all of you, you three friends of you, you're older and therefore I've been holding my tongue. But sometimes 
Age does not constitute wisdom, and sometimes life experience does not make a person smarter, and you're not, you're, everything you're saying is wrong, and you're lying, and you're accusing an innocent person, and I am younger than you, but I know that what I'm about to say is true. And in the end, Yehov does not refute what he says, and neither does Hashem. So what is Elihu's essential argument? He says, it goes through a few prokim, and he says to Eov, the reason you're having such a difficult time with this whole issue, with Hashem's conducting the world and you, an innocent person, suffering so much, is because of a, of a basic premise. If nothing God ever did made sense, nobody would have a question. If always, if on a regular basis, evil people prospered and, and uh, righteous people suffered, nobody would have a question. But the problem is that by and large, as, the, as humanity has seen, and certainly Jewish people have seen, that by and large, there is hashgacha pratis. And by and large, there is a tremendous amount of bracha in every person's life. And Hashem does watch and shepherd them and guide them and put them in the right place at the right time and open the right doors for them just when they need that. By and large, in everybody's life, there's endless examples of Hashem's kindness, Hashem's involvement, Hashem's hashgacha. And therefore, when something happens that violates that premise, that contradicts what we're expecting because it is the norm, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to work with it. We don't even know how to process it. That's what's happening. You have to acknowledge that in general, you live a life of great bracha and great hashgacha pratis. And so this is like from out of the blue. And we don't have the tools yet to deal with this. And this is the truth. This is the truth for Eov, and it was the truth for us. So, um, so he says to him, he goes into a whole long discussion of what to do when we're just shocked by some incident, by some episode, and, we're not, and it doesn't fit in with the regular rest of our lives and with the rest of our experience. Elihu goes through his discussion, and then when Elihu is finished, it's time for Hashem to finally enter the conversation and set everything straight. Firstly, he says to Eov, you never blasphemed, you never got angry, you accepted that everything I, would, I was doing was just, you knew there was a purpose, you kept defending yourself and saying you're not a sinner and that was legitimate because you were not suffering because of any sin you've done. It was much more complicated than that. I was testing you. I wanted to see if you could accept what I, any gazardin from Hashem, any gazera, with love, even if you don't understand it. And it was very hard for you. You did not succeed. Nevertheless, despite the fact that he didn't succeed, Hashem said, I am going to give you what you deserve because of all the suffering you endured. And what happens towards the end of the Sefer is Hashem gives him a virtual tour of the universe. Starting from the moment of creation, giving the whole process of the unfolding of the creation of the world, and then the operation of the world, the hashgacha pratis that affects every single creature, from the smallest creature, from an atom, to the largest creature, he will get to the Leviathan and the behemoth, this huge sea creature and this huge land creature, which is a mushal for something else. He shows him how when a gazelle gives birth at the edge of a cliff 
and the little baby's just jumping up on its feet and it's about to fall off the cliff because it's a little too close to the edge and evil swoop, an eagle swoops down and catches the little gazelle on its wing. How there's hashkacha pratis everywhere all the time. He shows him, he takes him on a virtual tour of the universe. And he starts out this tour by saying to Eov, I'm going to show you something now, but I just want you to understand before I show you that you're about to see things that you have never could imagine. And it's going to humble you. And it's going to make you stop saying, I need to understand what's happening. I need to understand everything. So Hashem says to him in Parakulam al-Ches, Eifo hayita bayasti aretz? Hageid. Im yadata bina? He says, um, let me just ask you before we start, where were you when I created the world? When I founded this earth? Tell me, do you know the depth of it? Do you understand the functioning of this world in its intricacies? Do you know atomic theory? Cell biology? Do you know how the galaxies work? How matter formed? How things get mass? That's really what Ayyub was, 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 was helped to understand. In fact, my grandfather explains here that after he shows him an entire picture of Hashkacha Pratis in, in all of creation, he then introduces him to the exceptional qualities, the ferocious qualities, really, of two creatures, the Livyasan and the Behemoth. They are described, and again it's a mushal, as, uh, as being ferocious, breathing fire, the Levyasan breathing fire, you know, almost like a dragon, in, uh, unapproachable, etc. All kinds of descriptions which we're going to get to. My grandfather says the following. To gain somewhat of an understanding of what is presented here, we suggest the following. By illustrating Behemoth and Levyasan to Eov, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving him a description of the entire physical universe, the concepts of matter and energy. Behemoth represent all matter, the physical material universe and the material aspects of life, because it grazes on all the world's mountains and all others, other animals play around him. Because animals exist only for their physical material purposes and their pleasures are purely physical, it represents all of the material of the physical world. Levyasin, on the other hand, represents energy. Energy is the invisible, indestructible force at the core of all matter, which holds all matter together. As we know, scientists have learned how to release the awesome power and energy of the atoms of matter. And notwithstanding the fact that energy itself is indestructible, when a significant amount of it is released, it can be world destructive. In fact, that is what haunts humankind now. The enormous energy in the enormous power in energy. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu shows him energy, we need to understand that a little bit. This, this is a pair of glasses. They're not going to hurt anybody. They're made out of plastic. They cost $1.99 in brass. Okay? They're not going to hurt anybody. So we could say this is stable. It doesn't move. It's motionless. It's plastic. It's solid. But anybody who learns physics knows it is not solid, it is not motionless, and it is not harmless because this is made out of atoms, which form molecules. And everybody knows that atoms are made out of electrons, right, which help bond them to other atoms, which help create larger forms of matter. And in the nucleus of every atom is electrons, and is uh, neutrons and protons, and now they know subatomic particles called quarks that are even smaller, and all of them together 
because they're not literal physical things. They're more like vibrations in a certain spot. They know now that in the nucleus of an atom, we have essentially vibrations. And those vibrations, if they're released into the world, are released as nuclear energy, atomic energy. It's very interesting, by the way. If science knows today that in the nucleus of an atom, essentially the energy is made out of vibrations, that gives a new meaning to Vayomer Elohim Yehi Or. Amira, speech, is vibration. And the Or that Hashem created, which is the Or Hashrina, the muscle for that, is that in the nucleus of an atom, vibrations are nuclear, released as nuclear energy. In any case, what would happen, right? And so, so this is made out of atoms, I'm sorry. If we release, so atoms, let's, atoms are not motionless. <clears throat> Electrons are spinning at super speeds. There's no lack of motion in here. Also, this is not solid. 99% of the atom is empty space. The distance between the nucleus and the atom and the electron spinning, so to speak, around the outside of the atom is like the distance between here and Cedarhurst. It's huge, proportionally. There are, this is not motionless and this is not empty, this is not solid. And it's certainly not innocuous. Because if we release the amount of nuclear energy just in this one inch of the plastic, we could destroy America. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed him the enormous energy of God that is constrained within the physical world. And it cannot be released because it would destroy the world. What that means is Hashem's will, which is not physical, and Hashem's knowledge, which is not physical, and Hashem's force that runs the world, Hashem's will, which is the force that runs the world, which is not physical, is within every physical thing, and it is part and parcel, it drives the operation of the world. But a human being cannot release that light, so to speak. We cannot ask Hashem to take away our human, our humanness, which is, this is fundamental, our humanness is our capacity not to see that light and that truth and that force that is underneath and inside all things. Because if we saw clearly, like they did in our Sinai, that it is strictly the will of Hashem that brings everything into existence, and in every blade of grass we heard Hashem saying, grow, and we saw the Shechina making that physical thing grow, and we felt the aura and the force, like nuclear energy, the heat of Hashem's will making things happen, nobody would have any free choice. It's by virtue of the fact that Hashem conceals himself, like the nuclear energy is concealed within this, that we can operate in this world and have freedom and make decisions and try to do the right thing as independent creators of our own reality. Hashem must be concealed within this world. And what Eov was asking is, show me why, how you run the world in its most, in its, in its most basic sense. Show me your, your mind. Why, you, all the, why all the things in the world happen the way they do. How all the puzzle pieces fit together. But if a person would un- understand all that, like Hashem said to Moshe, they couldn't function as a human being. It would be so clear to them that every single thing is strictly the will of Hashem expressed that they would say, what do I have to offer? What can I do here? I have no role to play. 
and they would shut down and be useless and purposeless. Hashem conceals himself, and he also conceals how he runs the world. He places opportunities in front of us, challenges in front of us, confusion sometimes and, and, uh, and, and difficulty in front of us, and he wants us to use our, in our knowledge of his presence, the Mesorah we got at Har Sinai, that Hashem exists and Hashem conducts the world, and even though we don't know how Hashem conducts the world and why he conducts the world a certain way, doesn't mean that Hashem is not the creator of the world, doesn't mean that Hashem doesn't conduct the world, doesn't mean that everything is not good, doesn't mean that everything doesn't have a purpose, it all does. But Hashem cannot reveal everything to one individual human being. So, by the time Eov got through with this prophecy that he had, seeing the complexity of nature, the hashkacha pratis in nature, seeing the enormous force of God within everything that happens and that it's good and perfect and correct and how everything works together in this world. Everything bonds together. It's one whole picture, a unity of all things that must be exactly the way it is for the world to keep going. When he was able to get this enormous perspective, Eov said about himself, I don't need to know why, what the particulars of my life are and why they are the way they are. I don't need to know why Hashem did this to me. I just know now without a shadow of a doubt that I am in very good hands. Everything is thought through. Everything is purposeful. Everything fits in its place. Everything is, over, is simmering with God's presence and God's light and God's love and God's goodness, it's all contained inside every episode and every aspect of existence. But it's held in there. It can't be released. If it's released, what would happen if we would release nuclear energy right here? We'd all melt. We couldn't survive with it. If Hashem would release his or Hashrina into our minds, the physical world would vanish as some type of mirage. And we would cease to exist as independent creatures. So Eov understood that for humanity to, to exist and have Bechir Rechavshas, it cannot become enlightened entirely by what is going on. But yet, at the same time, Eov confidently, he was absolutely secure. He said, it was worth going through everything I went through just to experience this nevuah, which showed me how the entire universe, from its most minute, invisible pa- uh, particles, to the greatest, you know, the galaxies, galaxies on the huge scale, to every creature, every human, of course. Everything is governed, guided, filled with God's light, purposeful, has a use, has a place, has a time, interacts with other things. Every, it's an enormous picture where everything fits together perfectly. And knowing that gives me a sense of comfort that my situation also fits in is necessary, is good, is meant to be. And I can now, Eov says in retrospect, I can accept what Hashem is doing to me, even though I don't have a specific explanation of where my piece fits into the whole big picture. But Eov was only able to come to this madrega after this enormous nevuah. The message of Sefer Eov is, and we sort of always go back to Sefer Eov, Hashem is not going to give each and every one of us who has some Yisurim in our lives this nevuah that Eov got. He doesn't need to. He gave it to Eov, and it's in this Sefer, and it's for all of us. So when we have the same questions as Eov, and we could 
God forbid, fall into the trap that Eov fell into, which would mean, in a certain level, failing the Nisayun, because Eov would not consider that he succeeded. We go to the end of the Sefer, to when, which is, by the way, what we just synopsize is about eight chapters, which we'll spend our third session on, our, the, the fourth session on. Um, when we go to the end of the Sefer, and we review all the lessons that Hashem taught Eo, because they are the same lessons for every person in this situation. And they comforted Eo. Not, not only did they comfort him, they made him thank Hashem for what he had gone through. They brought him to the Madrega of Avraham, but with Hashem's help. And Avraham achieved it without that help of Hashem. What that means is he was able to understand these things without having to be proven it by Hashem himself. We are the descendants of Avram. But it's easy to slip into the mindset of Eov. And so we have a Sefer here, the go-to Sefer for this subject. Nothing written after this or alongside this is equal to Sefer Eov. So this is the Sefer we start with. And in this Sefer is every question everybody ever asked on this subject. And every proposed solution that was ever invented by any human mind on this subject. Except something that's like way off, like aliens, you know, whatever. Something, you know, based on the axioms that we have. It's all in here. And Hashem himself gives us the most, the most, you know, the answer that we can, more of an answer than anyone can give us. And Hashem gives us the full extent of the answer that he's, able to give us without eliminating human existence completely, without bringing us to a point where, where we can exist as a separate, perceiving ourselves as set, separate entities with Bechir Rechavshas. Beyond this point, which is where Moshe wanted to go, Hashem said, no, you'll get that understanding when you're no longer a finite mortal, when you're no longer alive. That's, that you'll understand beyond. But as you're here, this is as far as you can go. And we do what Avram does. Avram, we said, he went to the Akedah knowing that the human mind only goes a certain, to a certain point. And beyond that it can't. And I'll end with this idea. Eo spends time asking Hashem for chachma, knowledge to know why he's experiencing what he's experiencing. Chachma. The word chachma comes from two words. And Eo uses these words a lot. Koach ma. Ma. The word ma is a little word, two-letter word. It's a question. What? What is this? We use the word ma two different ways in Hebrew. Sometimes we use it for a question. For example, the Torah says, Ma Hashem Elokecha Doresh Mimcha. What does Hashem want from you? That's information. And sometimes we say, Ma Rabu Masach Hashem. How great is your, are your wonders? Either way you use it, if you think about it, you realize that ma means that when we ask ma, we're saying, I have some information, but I don't understand why it's so. I have facts. I have technical information, but I want to know why it is like this. In other words, we're asking for a glimpse into that prior place that everything that we can relate to emerges from. We're asking for a glimpse to the cause of things, not the explanation for what things are, but 
why they are the way they are. We're looking for the point of emergence from the obscure, from God's mind to our reality. We're looking for it to get a glimpse at that transition where things go from being in God's mind to being perceived, understood by us. We say, Ma, what is this? And Eov keeps asking the question, Ma. And, the, and Eov ultimately says, Chachma me'ayin tavo. Real wisdom. It comes from a place that is beyond human conception. That it, We can see it emerging into our world in its way, in its particular contours, in its particular form. But how come it takes that form? And why it looks like that and behaves like that? That's coming from a place that is beyond human capacity, as long as we're human, to penetrate into. It comes from a place that only Hashem exists in. And the limits of the human mind, even though we're so curious and we ask, Ma, what is this? The limits of the human mind, there are limits. They end up there, that were a place where even Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't get to, as a human. However, we need instructions for what to do with that, how to live with that while we're here. And the Nehu at the end of Sefer Eov takes Eov all the way just to that point. And he feels comforted enough by what he saw that he's, we said he's Makabal Zisurim and even thanks Hashem for Zisurim. And then everything is restored to Eov. Everything that he lost is restored. That's the end of the Sefer. So, Mir Tashem, next week we're going to break up the Sefer into three sections. The argument of the friends, then Eov's position, and then the resolution at the end. So I hope we all bring a Sefer Eov next week. This one would be great. And I would suggest that after we finish this course, which is still going to be very more like a summary, people find the Chabrusa and go through the Sefer week by week. It'll take a year or two. And, and, and uh, delve into it and find, study all the ideas that are included in here because they're fundamental and they're very relevant to us. And hopefully in these three weeks we should be zocha to, to move to a reality to shift the humanity and our destiny shifts to a humanity where there is no more Yisurim and there is no more need actually after these three weeks for safer Yio. And we receive, we we experience the geula and all the nechama that Klal Yisrael so richly deserves. Have a wonderful week, everybody.